Hi. Hi. Who are you? I am Almar, and I'm an addict. What kind of addict? Attention addict. I love attention. Any attention. And what are we doing here? Uh, we're making a podcast. What is that about? Um, it's about the things like uh, people's stories, how they ended up where they are, ended up doing what they're doing. And uh, yeah, it was supposed to be about something else, but I ended up with this. Mm-hmm. Uh, who are those people? Um, these are my friends. Uh, uh, yeah, basically my network. But because I wanted to make a show about me, but I didn't really have anything to talk about. So I ended up looking at the network. The network was interesting. So I kind of thought, okay, I can may- maybe make something with this. So do you have already a name for this uh, podcast? Yeah, it's called The Bunker. How the hell did we end up here? And how is it connected to... To the theme. Uh, how the hell did we end up here? So basically people's stories and how they went from A to B and then to C and with coincidences, decisions, traumas. Basically anything that moves you to the direction or the point where you are. Mm-hmm. So how often are you going to have this podcast? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure, but maybe like two, two times a month, mm-hmm. three times a month. So, do you take yourself seriously enough? Do you have some sponsors? Yeah, like every other professional podcast, then of course I have sponsors. I have the Oat Bar. Uh, that's the, the greatest thing in Carlin. Sells amazing oatmeals and skier. Mm. Everything is handmade. Um, and it's available from 8 to 3 during the weekdays, closed on the weekends, but you can order on Walt as well. And it's a place that you really want to go. Healthy yet tasty. Mm, and then I have, yeah, and then I have um, a company called Alfred. It's alfred.cz. It's a place where you can find jobs. You can set up a job watch. You can get notified whenever there's a cool job coming along. And it's a great solution for anyone who is either looking for a job or wants to change jobs because you can find the right job without spending time looking for it. Uh, it's available in Czech, English, and Slovak. And uh, yeah, check it out. Uh, Alfred.cz. Yeah, those are the guys. Cool. On this episode, we're talking to Craig. Craig is the American barber in Prague. I became his customer a few years ago and I started visiting his salon. And I soon realized that Craig is not anything that could be called average. He has endless stories and ideas. And sometimes when I left the barbershop, I felt that my brain had been on overload, but in a pleasant way. So when I decided to make this podcast, Craig was one of the first names on my list. I wanted to explain to you guys how a third-generation barber from Kentucky in the U.S. relocates as a 49-year-old to Prague to become a barber Santa at Christmas, front-page figure on magazines, Dancing with the Stars, and Eurovision of all things, and a lot more. When we started talking, I had a script, uh, but uh, I soon realized that we were not going to follow that script. We were just going to talk the way that it had to be talked. And Craig went all over the place, and I tried to follow. We ended up talking so long that I have to split this up to two episodes. So in the first episode, we focus on Craig's life in the US, his career, childhood, and how he fought depression and heart disease just to make the move that he had to make to open his new chapter in his life here in Prague. Uh, welcome to the show, Craig. Great to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. Thanks for having me, Almar. Yeah. How do you like my view? The view is awesome. Getting to watch the sunset over a beautiful Prague castle. Hard to beat that view. Yeah, especially in a place called the bunker. <laughs> yeah, my bunker is more like a bunker, bunker, cellar, so I don't have your view. Yeah. Uh, it was funny, Craig, when I was preparing yesterday I was um, for this, um, I was thinking about, I remember quite well how we met. Um, do you recall that? Yeah, we were at a networking group at the Bourbon Bar, and you know, I'm definitely a bourbon guy, but I noticed you had an awesome beard, um, and um, since I'm a barber i went and handed you my card and told you you needed somebody to take care of that yeah i remember you were talking to a beautiful ukrainian girl 
And uh, I thought I will, I will move in, uh, but then <laughs> I ended up with your business card and I never <laughs> saw the girl again. Uh, but that was it was uh, interesting because, as you said, it was a networking event. And um, uh, when I was preparing last night, then then I was thinking about what you actually I've known you now for a few years. What it is that you stand for in my mind, and and um, and somehow you're like um, a switchboard or a connector somehow because. While I was preparing for this, I see on your Facebook page, uh, Craig is live. And uh, then I <laughs> checked what that was, and, and then I saw Craig was live with the president, the former president. What, what, what is this? Yeah, we've, um, I've gotten to know uh, President Klaus over the last uh, couple of years. And uh, I was live with him last night. I was at a concert, so I was not the only one live with him. But uh, he's a big jazz fan, and when he was in office, uh, he had 91 jazz events at the castle. He still has this regular event that he always invites me to and uh, gives us a chance to catch up. But, uh, yeah, last night, I mean, it's always great music, but it was really exceptional, like some real uh, jazz legends playing last night, so I decided to live stream a little bit of it. So that was the, the, the president of the Czech Republic prior to the current one? Yes, he was two terms president, and he was also prime minister, and uh, I think originally he was the finance minister. Interestingly, Craig, then last weekend I saw you live with a guy from Hells Angels <laughs> at the Burger <laughs> yeah. Fest. Well, he's not with Hells Angels, but um, he... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he's a well-known um, chef from Germany. He looks like he's with the Hells Angels. Um, and uh, now Carl's an awesome guy I met. He's, I get all kind of characters coming in the barbershop. He was visiting from Munich, but Carl is probably one of the top chefs in Germany. He does his food shows. And he was kind enough to come do a party with me where he does, if you know, as you saw it, with uh, Jack Daniels and fire and... Um, so we've uh, done a few cooking shows together. Mm -hmm. I'm the uh, experienced amateur, but he's the actual the, the pro. Yeah, but that's it's such an interesting thing, Greg, because you know I've I've gone to some events. I went to your birthday. I've I've been to where you have your friends around, and it's 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 such, it's the whole rainbow of people and from everywhere and and so on. It's 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 quite interesting. Anyway, um, I wanted to kind of. Um, figure out then, and that's the reason why I have you, how does someone from Kentucky end up in Prague, opening a barbershop, um, acting as Santa at Christmas, um, doing introduction of Eurovision TV shows, which you probably didn't even know what was when you <laughs> came here, and uh, grill shows on, on YouTube and grill festivals and stuff like this. So um, maybe... If you could tell me a little bit your background, you know, where, where you're from and, and, and so on. Well, I'm from the southern part of the U.S., originally Kentucky. And the south is known for its hospitality, and you don't really know a stranger. You know, everybody smiles, makes eye contact. And um, I'm a third-generation barber. There's four generations, actually, now. And uh, for over a century, mm -hmm. my family's been barbers. And it's one of those things, it's uh, a real guy's atmosphere, you have all kind of people coming in your chair. It's a level playing field when somebody's in your, your chair. And you get to know guys really well. Like some of the, I've had over 30 clients visit me from Atlanta where I was living before I moved to Prague. I was in Atlanta for 25 years. My brother and nephew have the barbershop there now. But um, I've had, like I said, over 30 of my clients that I did in Atlanta visit me here in Prague. You know, a couple of them made me feel old. I'd given them their first haircut. <laughs> and then other guys, you just known for years. But if guys are coming in every two or three weeks for five years, 10, 25, 30 plus years, you get to know the guys really well. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, a rainbow, you know, a wide swath of people. And I don't know, I'm a bit of, I'm more than a bit attention deficit. I have a lot of interest and then pursue and I'm always asking people and uh, just opens a lot of doors and mm. you meet a lot of a lot of, a lot of different connections a lot of interesting people but um, how was it there back in Kentucky when you were born I mean what kind of 
life was that? Was it like a farm life or rural or? It was a really unique situation. And I, you know, I appreciated it growing up, but I didn't fully appreciate it until I was leaving home and realized how unique and special a situation it was. Um, my father was well-known barber and you know people traveling from even other states uh, for him to do their hair but um, we lived in a subdivision in a cul-de-sac but behind us is where the farm started so we had about you know 12 acres of land with stables and a lake and from behind there you could go riding horses for miles shooting our guns out the back door and um, all the fun redneck uh, activities but then you could hop in a car and be downtown Louisville in um, 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just under a million people. So you had a mix of the suburbs, the country, and the city. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very difficult to find that setup anywhere. Yeah, so, I, I, and and, the, and the, this is what, the 60s, 70s? Yeah, well, I was born in... Yeah, I was, listeners here yeah <laughs> but yeah 60s and 70s and um the uh yeah it was a good time you know because a lot of this stuff is lost i mean um you can't do things uh now that you could do back then growing mm -hmm. up you know our summer camp our summer vacation you know mom locked the doors they come back at dinner time go out and find something to do mm -hmm. you know now we had plenty to do we had stables and horses you know you go as on going BB war, gun wars with each other, running around all summer, you know, it was your, well, all year long, you never stopped. Mm. But, you know, now you'd have the police out. Mm. Um, and you could go running around the neighborhoods because you didn't have to worry about, you know, people grabbing, nabbing the kids and stuff. Um, you didn't have school shootings, although there's plenty of guys I know that would have guns in their cars because they've been hunting in the morning, mm. you know. So it was just a completely different time. And some of my friends here, you know, especially younger from the, um, you know, American TV and movies, see like where the teenagers are cruising in their cars and stuff like that. I'm like, well, yeah, we, that's, we did that. That's how it was. Yeah. And not all kids are spoiled getting their cars for their 16th birthday. Most of us had to save up and buy a little junker and, you know, try to get it fixed up. But, you know, you've been to the U.S., you know, it's, yeah. it's not pedestrian friendly. You got to drive everywhere. Um, but no, you had that freedom and that flexibility, which, you know, everything is more and more regulated and you, you can't do that as much. Um, so yeah, it was a good time to, to grow, grow up. up. Yeah. yeah. And what about the, I mean, I, because when I come to your barber's shop, I always hear this most amazing music, you know, like, uh, old rock stuff, you know, and you grew up on this stuff, yeah. right? Well, yeah. And then, uh, you know, anything in my shop, I try to do the stuff that I, I love and that I know about. And it's more than a, like a, just a haircut. It's more like an experience. You're in there for a while, you know. So uh, I like blues. I like jazz. I like all this stuff. But, you know, classic rock from 60s, especially the 70s, is my thing. Mm. And um, now, which I showed you, you know, last couple of times, a stereo system I have in there now by another sponsor, these bespoke speakers. Yeah, uh, some of the guys would just hang out to listen to music. Yeah, you know, some of the musicians have played in there have not heard their music as good as they've heard it coming through those that speaker system. Yeah, um, but yeah, I just. Um, but did you see any of those like legendary oh God, bands? There's no or? telling how many that I saw. You know, I really wish I'd have kept uh, like a little journal. You know, there's some people even do like for their wine tasting and they keep the labels and make notes. I wish I'd have done that because I can't remember half of them. Um, but yeah, I saw a lot of those as a kid, and then um, one of my clients in Atlanta, they're against one of your one of my connections at the time. He was a manager for Ticketmaster and then Live Nation, and God, there's no telling how many tickets he gave me over the years. Probably eight thousand dollars worth of tickets or more, and it'd be like last minute, hey, not sold out. You want to go? Mm -hmm. And it might be classic rock, it might be country, it might be you know. Yanni playing or something be like well hell yeah I'll go out there and check it out oh. um, so, so what was the biggest thing you saw like did you like of these classic rock bands was there any uh, well the ones that stand out the most my first concert was Aerosmith yeah. and like in the 70s you know and I've got two older brothers who were like my best friends and my oldest brother we had to drive to another city to see it so uh, that was in the mid 70s and then Fleetwood Mac 
And then probably one of the best productions I saw back from then was Alice Cooper. Mm-hmm. And that's when he was, it was like a Broadway show and concert. It was a massive production, but it was really, really cool to see. But now there's some great, and now it's cool is a lot of these guys that are touring again, or maybe again and again and again, and they're still touring just because of the love of it. They don't necessarily need the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and they maybe take more time between gigs. Yeah. So they might be hanging out in Prague for a while, or yeah, hanging yeah. out wherever they're at, so they can kind of rest up a bit and enjoy because I've had some of the guys in the shop and some of them, if they're going, they maybe got in in the morning and then they're leaving within two hours or so after the show to the next city. They don't mm. have time to see stuff too much. But some of the older guys, they're pretty, you know, they're laid back. They don't have anything to mm. prove really. Oh, yeah. And uh, they're pretty open, most of them. Yeah. How, and, and, and so you, you start barbering, if, if is that a word, barbering. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. You start yeah. barbering in in. in in Kentucky, right? Oh, yeah. Well, like I said, my grandfather started in 1914. Hmm. And, you know, traditional barbershop. And then um, that's how my dad started, traditional barbering. And in the 60s, all that stuff started changing quickly and uh, into men's hairstyling. Hmm. And you either did that or you were not going to be with a job, which is coming soon now. So... Um, the traditional barbering and the styling's a bit different. Um, and what really kicked that in was when the Beatles came to the U.S. Uh-huh. And it sounds funny, but um, you only had three networks in the U.S., and they would go off at midnight um, to listen to your band that you wanted. Now I was really small when the Beatles came. I don't remember that so much. But you would have to um, call the radio station to talk to the DJ and request that they would play a song for you mm-hmm. or you had to go and buy the album but it wasn't like you're going to jump on the internet or go see your favorite band and stuff and a lot of them might not come to your city so if you wanted to see them you might have to travel to the next state or something to see them mm-hmm. so now there's so much competition for whatever field and so mm-hmm. much information mm-hmm. for everybody to get a hold of but back then you're like oh okay these are the big world superstars all the networks are covering it and people went nuts especially the you know the younger and then uh, you know girls fainting and stuff like that well obviously the guys were like well shit i want to <laughs> you know i want some of that so i'm going to grow my hair like that <laughs> and that started they were known as the mop tops and actually cuz my hair's got so long now their hair was not as long as mine is now but compared to those classic styles it was longer And you had this generation coming. They wanted to do that. And then you had the hippie movement come in and the guys coming back from Vietnam. And guys weren't getting their hair cut so often. You know? And if they were getting their really short classic cuts, it was only because they were in the military. Mm. So you didn't see. And that got everything evolving. So my dad was one of the leaders in that in the U.S. So I, I remember growing up. You know, I didn't want to go. To, I hated school from day one. I like to learn, but I don't. I don't fit in the traditional classroom so well. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember especially before you start school, getting to run around the barber shop. You know, mm-hmm. have a good time. And uh, I'll never forget my first big letdown. My dad took me to first grade. My, you know, first day of school. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to go. He's like, look, buddy, give it two weeks. If you don't like it, you just come to work with me. Assuming at six years old, I'm going to forget about it in two weeks. But two weeks later, I'm kind of like, I'm out of here, suckers. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then he's like, uh, sorry, buddy, you got at least 12 years of this. <laughs> and like when you tell a six-year-old, you had 12, like, oh, my God, no. You know. But um, so anyway, I grew up around it. And, um, you know, both my brothers and I as kids, we'd work around the shop some, you know, for some money, you know, and pick up things. And then ooh, I guess I was, you know, Maybe 14 or so, I decided I wanted, you know, to be a, a barber, hairstylist. So I started going to school for it while I was in school. You know, we had vocational training, which you don't have much in the U.S. now. You know, mm-hmm. you could go for part of your school day if you wanted to be a mechanic or a woodworker or anything like that. And hairstyling was one of the things, too. Mm-hmm. So I would go to that during the day, and then I'd go work at the barber shop after that. Um, but, yeah, I've been doing it since uh, since I was a kid. And there was never any other, I mean, you, you never wanted to be anything else. No, nah, you know, I've got tons of interests. That's why I get into so many different things, generally creative stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, no, I, I'd have a hard time. I have worked for other people before for little bits at a time. It doesn't go well, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the there's creativity. It's a very very social business too. Um, and that's one of the things I like about it. You, you meet so many different people. And um, that's how I got into doing some of these interviews, too. It's like, I think, in a way, I've been interviewing people for 44 years that I've been cutting hair. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah, I grew up around it. And then so, you know, both my brothers, you know, got into it. And um, I was the youngest, but I was actually the one to get in first. And, uh, yeah, I've done it, ever, done it ever since. But you moved then later on you, you yeah go. well I like I said I grew up in Kentucky and that's where my dad's shop was and then uh, you had the recessions hit in the 70s and 80s in Louisville at that time um, was a blue-collar town like Ford and GE and it got hit hard mm-hmm. so Atlanta was on the rise and my brothers and I ended up moving down there over a period of time we all ended up down there and um, yeah ended up getting the shop down there And, and 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 but that's a completely different world from from from, from Kentucky, right? I mean, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was uh, growing up uh, in uh, Louisville. Like I said, it's not quite a million people, but you know, you got relatives there, all these friends, contacts. My father, and you grow up somewhere, you know people wherever you go. Mm. And it didn't fully dawn on me when I moved to Atlanta. And I'd, I was there probably at least a year and a half or two years before I was out one day, like at a store, and somebody called out my name that you know recognized me, and I'm like, wow, there's like a you know a realization, I'm like man, that's I missed that. I didn't really think about that, which was also something I was thinking about when I moved to Prague. I'm like, how long is it going to be before I'm out and run into somebody that I know in a you know in a country that I don't know anybody you know moving here. Mm. And the first day I moved here, <laughs> when I, I'd been here like six, seven months previous working on the paperwork for my visa, and um, I saw a thing like on Expat CZ, I think, and a group of people were getting together at the Globe. I'm like, ah, what the hell, I'll go, you know, got some time while I'm doing paperwork, I'll go meet some people. And then, um, yeah, so that was like in November, and I moved here in May the following year. And no sooner did I drop the bags off at the flat that I was, you know, renting, And walked out the door, you know, and I'd been here like maybe an hour at the time from the airport, <laughs> you know, dropped this off, step out of the street, and a guy yelled down, hey, man, how's it going? And it was a guy that I had met at the Globe. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, that's a good, I'll take that as a good omen. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll take that as a good sign. Yeah. And then um, really within a um, few months, a lot, of, a lot of people thought I'd lived here for years. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know anybody before I moved here, but the... Um, The guy that I rented a chair at his hair salon, I'd met him online you know, to see if I could even get a job over here. Um, but uh, so I had to really get out and hustle to mm. get the clients mm. you know, first time. Yeah, and, and hustle you did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but so but you came here earlier for a visit. You came here in '92. Uh, yeah, you know that was um, growing up during the Cold War. You know, you always wonder, you know, what's on the other side of the wall. Mm. And I've always been, uh, I've always questioned things, whether it was a teacher or especially the government, anything like that. And, uh, you know, you get plenty of propaganda everywhere, you know, whether it be the U.S. or former Soviet Union. And it was kind of funny because the only exposure we really had to Slavic women were like on the news and stuff, the little babushkas or the steroid pumped kind (laughs) of Uh, manly women in the you know some of the Olympic sports, yeah, weightlifting. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> and then because the Beatles song, those Ukraine girls really knocked me out, leave the West behind. I'm like, what in the hell are they <laughs> singing about? And then I'm like, oh shit, that's what they're saying. <laughs> Now I see. With the Cold War, might have gone the other way if we'd have seen that. Um, <laughs> so anyway, like everybody, totally shocked when the Soviet Union collapsed, and as it happened so fast. And I'm like, wow, I'd like to really see what's, you know, besides what I've been told, I want to see what's happening. And obviously, you know, um, depending on where where you lived in the former Soviet Union, it would be different, you know. But um, when I saw 
or heard about the Velvet Revolution and that they, uh, you know, put a uh, writer in mm-hmm. office as president. And I was like, man, that'd be a cool place to check out. Mm-hmm. And I've always been interested in the arts. I studied classical painting and that. And I was like, well, maybe I'll go check out the Art Academy over there and see what's happening. And at the time, one of my sister-in-laws is from Vienna, or my ex-sister-in-law from Vienna. So I'm like, yeah, go to Prague. I'll check this out, see what it's like, and then go to, go to Vienna. And obviously, before the Internet, um, and you couldn't find a lot out. Mm-hmm. You know, Lonely Planet probably only had a few pages or four or five maybe on Czech Republic. So I'm like, all right, what the hell? I'm going to go by myself, check it out. I heard that families rented rooms, and it was almost like an early form of Airbnb. Mm. And there were some different little offices people would set up, and one of them right on Old Town Square across from the astronomical clock. And I came in November, and these days get short, and I take a cab, you know, get on. I was like, okay, shit, all right, now i got to find a place to... <laughs> place to sleep uh-huh. and anyway found a room through them hit it off with the family and uh, they didn't speak much English but their neighbor was retired from the government travel office and since I was by myself she decided she needed to take care of me uh-huh. and she took me out every day for almost two weeks showing me every aspect I really wish I'd have kept a journal because unfortunately she's passed away um but instead of going to clubs and stuff at night, I'd just sit around with her and this family. She'd translate. We'd drink Moravian wine, get to know each other. And I saw how awesome the people really are. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very unfortunate. A lot of people aren't here long enough or they don't put themselves out enough to go make the first step to the checks because mm-hmm. uh, they're incredible. They're just initially going to be more reserved, especially like compared to a Southern. But, you know, just great people. But I had such a positive um, introduction to the Czech people and obviously how beautiful the city is. It always stuck with me. Mm. Timing at that time wasn't my time to come here. I was in a relationship with the ex-wife and that at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just always stuck with me. But and then, like, uh, but eventually you you came back and I mean, was that just like I mean, I was thinking about it because you told me that you know you you get a divorce and you decide to move and. And you move to Prague. I mean, like it's a, it's a very, it's a U-turn, you know, yeah. in a way. Oh yeah. Well, it wasn't because I was divorced for several years. I can't remember. It's a little bit of a blur. But I was divorced for several years before I moved over here. It wasn't like it was just a midlife crisis thing or anything. I just, even as a kid, I always wanted to be somewhere else. Even before I'd ever been anywhere. Uh-huh. I know it's weird. I just always wanted to be somewhere else. And when I got to Europe, that that trip. Um, I'm like, man, I'm, I feel more at home here, you know. Um, so uh, I had been divorced for uh, several years, maybe five or more. I, don't, I can't remember. Um, but uh, what really triggered that was um, I had always wanted to live somewhere else. Besides the divorce, I had a very lengthy illness before that, hmm. which gives you a different perspective on things. And... Um, it just, uh, the 40, 49th birthday depressed the hell out of me. And most of my family lived about 100. My grandpa cut hair till he was 85. And I'm like, I never liked Atlanta that much. You know, some people love it. You know, it's, it's just whose eyes you're looking, you know, through. Um, and I'm like, shit, I'm not where I want to be. And these years are going by fast. Um, I don't have kids, divorced. I'm like, if I don't do something now, it ain't ever going to happen. So within a day or so of that birthday, I found online Expat CZ. They had some forums on there, and I looked, and there was only two native English-speaking hair salons in the whole city, which really means the whole country. Mm-hmm. No barbershops. So two British guys, and a really nice guy named Jonathan owns head salon over at Paletscale. So I emailed them both, and I'm like, is it possible for an American to get a visa, you know, to do this? Because most countries, unless you were married to somebody from there or companies sent you there, it'd be very, very difficult. So he's like, yes, you can, and I'll hold the chair till you can move here. So and that's I, just one shot, 100%. I mean, like that was on the first email that you sent, Yeah, right? yeah. So I was like, okay, I haven't been there since 1992, and I've only been there once. So I'll... Uh, Go take a visit. So I went a few weeks later. I flew over to kind of meet them and see, you know, before I left the clientele mm. of like 25 years, 
and um, decided to check it out. I'm like, okay, no, this is awesome. You know, every bit as much as I remember, so I'm going to give it a go. And then um, I had to come back again that November to do more paperwork. You know, all that stuff. They love their stamps. They can get kind of tricky with the papers. Um, But, no, I started the move immediately, and I got here about two and a half months before my 50th birthday. And, you know, my brothers, everybody was very supportive. Uh, my mother was nervous at first. You know, I'm the baby. <laughs> but, <laughs> the old uh, baby. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, but um, everybody she, you know, mentioned it to, they're like, well, I've been to Prague, and that's, that's the most beautiful place I've ever been. It's great, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but people saw, my brothers saw it immediately. They knew that I'd be happier here. And then everybody I know that knows me, especially from before, they know I'm supposed to be here. Uh-huh. You know, just I can't explain half the stuff that's happened to me here. So, uh, no, there's no place else I'd want to live. Uh, Yeah, so it sounds like um, it was a good decision to move uh, from the U.S. to Prague, but it's also... It's a decision of strength. It's um, and it's interesting you say that it's not like this traditional midlife crisis. Uh, just wanted to explore the world and have some adventures. You mentioned some depression and 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 these kind of things. I mean, and as I said earlier, it's a U-turn. Um, well, how how did you get the the courage to 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 to, to do this? Well, like I said, it's something I'd always wanted. I don't, again, as a small child, I always wanted to be somewhere else. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, as I mentioned, I'd kind of been through a long-term illness in my uh, mid-late 30s for years. And um, as I was coming out with, of that, I finally could start traveling in that again. I mean, for uh, for years, uh, like, I haven't really brought this out in interviews before, but um, I've got a milder form of bipolar disorder, mm. but when it hit, it was anything but mild and the depression hit me. It just wiped me out for years and it took years and years to find a medicine that would work. So, um, yeah, after that, it led to other health issues and you have, you know, doctors because a lot of the clients were doctors too. And, uh, when they're telling you that you may not be around that long, that gives you a different perspective on life. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I really could have cared less, you know. And then when I uh, finally, years later, started getting better, um, go at it again, you know. Uh-huh. And, you know, I don't have any problem talking. I've been able to actually help quite a few people because they felt comfortable enough to talk to me, whether it be clients or other friends. And it's still taboo to talk about any kind of mil- mental illness pl- a lot of uh-huh. places. And Czech Republic and Prague would be one of those places. It's still fairly taboo for a lot. But I've had people that, you know, friends that have been able to, you know, talk to me, ask me about things. But um, yeah, it's interesting. I, 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 I have um, my own experience of going to therapists both here and, and, and elsewhere because of issues that have happened in my life. And and it's an interesting thing here that it's it's by man it's considered as a weakness um i don't know anyone who went into a therapist and came out worse mm-hmm. and uh, it's some of the best money that i have spent in my life have, have been on this kind of service but but you say that um like two years in a like in a in a blackout or like you, that you don't really recall how, how do you exist in that I mean, does someone take care of you? Or well, or? I was still able to work some. Um, and like I said, all my clients knew me so well that they were, you know, um, okay with it, you know. But I might, I would have to maybe leave suddenly. Uh-huh. Um, of course, I was working with one of my brothers. Everybody, you know, knew, knew me, you know. And um, it, uh, yeah, like I said, hell, it was so medicated, so heavy for the first couple of years. Like I said, there's blank spots, mm-hmm. you know. And then I was married, so obviously the wife was uh, helping. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously that's another, you know, leads to divorce because this is tough on the partner as, as anyone else. So to see you go through stuff and as much as I, you know, me, I like to be out doing all kind of stuff. I couldn't do anything hardly for years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, in, in the 
like U.S. culture too. It's kind of funny when you have people, uh, uh, like if you look at a uh, tourist guide on the country that you're from and you see it through other people's eyes. Mm. So like people, you know, especially in the South, they, hey, how you doing? Well, that's really just a greeting. You're not really asking. But for Americans, unless it was a really close friend, you really wouldn't say if you're having a bad day anyway. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, clients would ask, how are you doing? I'm like, fine. But they could see it in your eyes. They're like, no, you're not. No. You know, so how are you doing today? So, yeah, it, you know, them and I was very active in my church. A lot of people back home were, you know, they were all supporting me to help me get, help me get through it. Um, but it, it took years. And like I said, that'll change because I had, um, again, I've always uh, been a barber, but I started getting heavy into chef training in my uh, 30s. Uh-huh. I, I did a with one of the top Italian chefs in the world. I spent a summer at his villa in Tuscany. Uh, took a boulangerie course at Cordon Bleu in Paris. Uh-huh. Different chefs in uh, the U.S. I never really wanted to work in a restaurant so much. Um, you know, I'm more of a uh, built for comfort, not for speed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the hectic pace of a kitchen wouldn't wouldn't work so well with me. But uh, anyway, I had that, and I also studied classical painting. I had galleries interested in my paintings, and everything was really kicking in gear, and it was all gone in an instant. Uh-huh. So that took years and years. So that's prior to... to that, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. prior to that. So that just wiped things out for a long time. And then, um, you know, many years later, I started doing a bit better. Like I said, I got, you know, the divorce and stuff, doing it on my own. And I loved to travel, but I couldn't travel for years. Uh-huh. Um, and then, yeah, you finally start getting healthy enough to start doing things again. You get energy to do things again. And uh, you're like, okay, um, I want to get as most out of life as I can. I want to give as much as I can. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it sounds kind of maybe cliche, but I was like, hey, I want to live life to its fullest. Now, not every day does that happen. Some days you're tired. Some days you get more stuff done than others. Um, but for a long time, I was kind of like, hey, if, if somebody were to write a book about me or make a movie about me, would it be worth reading? Or would anyone want to watch it? Mm. Would I want to watch it? You know? So I want to push it as much as I can. Again, it sounds kind of funny sometimes, like, but I'm like, no, I, obviously every doesn't happen every day, but sometimes it is every day here. You never, never know what's you know, I just keep yeah. trying to see where, okay, not every door is going to open and not everything's going to happen. But again, I can't explain half the stuff that's happened to me here. No, no. And I, I see that around you. I mean, all the years that I've known you, I, I, you never, you never stop to amaze me. But, but these kind of issues that to live with those kind of illness is it, I mean, sometimes the illness is the, both the poison and the, and the cure? Yeah, because it, it creates certain things. And it sounds like you're a little bit artistic, you know, creative, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, well, you know, like I said, there's the benefit to it, too. Now I wouldn't trade it. I sure as hell would not want to go through the dark part again. Hmm. But, again, most writers, artists, they, you know, comedians, you know, most of them have that. And a lot of the creativity comes from the the depression because you're locked in your own head so much mm. so um and that's actually when you start getting medicated the frustrating part is a lot of those medications will dull that a lot that's mm. why a lot of people quit taking their medications but for me it took years and years and years to find i can't remember how long actually because a lot of it was a blur but to find a medicine that would work mm. some people it might the first one might work <clears throat> but then you see like you know u.s is one of the few countries they advertise all these freaking medications and uh, so, like, oh, side effects may include blah, blah, yeah, blah, 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 really blah, you know. Text. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, shit, that's what they mean. Because, it, you know, all these you side effects. It, yeah, yeah you know, like one was vertigo. I was like sitting there. I just fell out of the freaking <laughs> chair and I'm trying to yeah. crawl to the bed. And I'm like, oh, evidently that's what a side effect with this. Hey, it is, you know. So um, yeah, anyway, now it's it's well under control. The the. Um, the talk therapy, you know, the therapist, yeah. that is a, just awareness is a big part of it. Yeah. And then, um, but it does add a lot of creativity. So here, when I have time, I try to, you know, at least sketch, you know, I, I want to do more paintings. And when I was originally coming here, I was like, okay, I'm going to cut hair part time and I'm going to paint part time. Mm-hmm. 
and then the hair thing has just taken off so much. I don't have as much time for the for the mm -hmm. painting at the moment. Uh, I will work that into my schedule more though. So you have kind of learned to to live with this. I mean, to to kind of have it on your side. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I said, no. I mean, everybody's got something to deal with. Yeah. You know, now for a lot of people, the you know any kind of mental illness, like I said, you know, it can be taboo or whatever because people can't see it. Yeah. You know, um, and I don't expect anybody to understand it if they haven't had a loved one involved yeah, yeah. with it or something. Yeah. Like uh, you'll see, especially in the U.S., occasionally somebody threatening to jump from an overpass, and yeah. then people stuck in traffic, you know, jump, jump. I'm like, yeah, well, if that was your, you know. Nephew, Mother, or, brother, yeah. nephew, yeah, whoever, uh, you know. Well, they're just wanting attention. I'm like, yeah, but if that's to the point that they're doing to get attention, they're not in their right mind. They need mm. some help, you mm. know. So, um, but did you like um, because the bipolar? Then you you kind of go down and up. Uh, no, oh, yeah. You have <laughs> these <laughs> then you go up. But well, now, what, what is it to be low? I mean, oh, how? Oh God, that. Um, you know, because a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, I've been depressed." I'm like, "Yeah, but have you been depressed for years?" You know, um, or yeah, you just like break out crying for whatever, you know, different thing. I mean, the depression, like I said, I hope it never gets to where it is as bad as it was years ago. Mm. The highs are freaking awesome. Yeah. Now there's bipolar one and bipolar two, and I have the lesser. So you're not mania. It can go hypomania. Mm -hmm. So, you know, full-blown mania, you might think you're Jesus Christ or something like that. Hypomania... People want to be around you because you're a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And um, it's not like you're trying to bullshit anybody, but you get so excited about stuff, you just, people get excited for you. Mm -hmm. And um, it can lead to lots of creativity and stuff. But you learn after a while with therapy that you need to uh, be careful with that because if you're going up, you will you'll go down. down so yeah. and the higher you go up, the, the lower you'll go down. Um, but it's led to a lot of interesting. <laughs> A lot of Memories. interesting things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Any, anything in particular that you remember from a high that was kind of like a crazy thing and resonates as a pleasant thing? Well, it got me into like doing some crazy shit. I was still, you know, um, I, I've always looked for adventure, you know, even as a little kid. And the, even though this didn't really hit me till I was about 37, um, I can see after the third that I've had it since I was really young. It just wasn't as strong, but I'm like, oh, that explains some stupid decisions. You know, I don't want to use it as a crutch. We're all going to make some stupid decisions. But, yeah, I'm like, yeah, okay, that, I, I can maybe live with that a little bit more now because I understand why I was stupid enough to do that. But, um, yeah, again, you can get excited about stuff. And without being manipulative, you know, get people on your side to go do it. So, mm -hmm. hell, I would say, like, yeah, I didn't have kids, but, you know, we were, I was married and, I decided I was going to move to Wyoming. And I had a friend out there that was in Jackson Hole, you know, beautiful area and stuff. Oh, shit, I didn't really <laughs> have any money or plan. But I've got, I'm like, I'm going to go out there and start. And then tell my wife, like, hey, when I get it rolling, then you come on out, you know. <laughs> and at the time, it made a lot of sense. And um, But I was not in the mental position <laughs> or the financial position to do that. And at the time, I was on, like, lithium. Uh -huh. So I'm overweight now, but man, I was, it blew me up like a balloon. And, uh, I don't think I was about 265 pounds and, uh, I get out there, you know, of course not really taking care of myself, got high blood pressure at the time, stuff like that. And I get out there and I didn't really think about it, but you're at altitude uh -huh. <laughs> up in the mountains. And, um, so wait, so you have, you're moving. Oh yeah. No, I moved. I moved out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And, uh, you know, right outside Yellowstone and stuff, you know. And there was like a, a friend of mine was living out there part of the year. And there was one barbershop for 50 miles. I'm like, yeah, screw it. Yeah, okay, I'll come on out. And, uh, yeah, it makes sense. But not really, you know, <laughs> thought through so well. Uh -huh. And I'm driving out there. The car breaks down in the freaking desert. <laughs> I have to have that towed. And then I get out there, and the buddy really hadn't planned stuff for me to be fully uh, fully set up. Um, and I made it for the most part of a summer. And the wife came out. We had a good time, but we realized, oh, this, this isn't going to work. And I really, if even if I would have wanted to stay out there, I started getting these, like, dizzy spells and shit. I thought, I was like, well, man, I um, must have the flu or something. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, 
finally it was like uh, my buddy's friend was a pharmacist and he went and checked my blood pressure. He's like, you don't have the flu. You freaking, you're high blood pressure and you're such high altitude, you're going to have a freaking heart attack. So you're going to have to go, there's nothing you can do but to go to lower, you know, elevation, you know. (laughs) So that was my little foray into that. uh, That, so, uh, and then I was working on trying to go other places and stuff, always trying Uh to get her excited. We're going to go, I'm going to move here or move there. And, um, but yeah, not, not well planned. No. And uh, so I did a bit more planning for this one, but I still wasn't fully prepared. I did, I couldn't really fully afford to move to Prague when I moved, but I'm like, shit, this is my only chance to mm. try to pull this off. Um, so yeah, that was one of the crazier ones. And then after I was divorced and finally getting healthy enough to really start traveling and, you know, be in my own mind, <laughs> um, and after dating a bit in the U.S., and I was with my ex-wife, I think total, I think maybe 17 years or something, um, dating changed a lot in that time. Hmm. So then, you know, Match.com and some of these dates, I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm not into this so much. I'm not, you know, uh, <laughs> I think I want a change. And then I'm thinking of From Russia with Love with a James Bond. You know, I'm like, ooh, Slavic women. I think I'm interested. I'd like to investigate this. <laughs> so I joined. And at the time, again, I get divorced, you know, and um, you get this extra time. And I probably should have been going to the gym or something, but I joined Russian dating sites. <laughs> uh-huh. So, you know, it actually was quite fascinating because you got to where you could talk to people all over the world. And, you know, talking to women from all over the former Soviet Union. And you find out a lot about the culture that way. And it was actually quite fascinating growing up again during the Cold War that I could be live chatting with somebody in Siberia, Mm. you know. So I'm like, hmm, I think I like this. I think I want to go check this out. So um, I'm like, Ukraine. I think I want to go to, you know, Ukraine. So the first trip over, I'd made, I was learning some Russian. And I made friends with a Ukrainian guy. I helped him get settled in Atlanta, and he was, you know, trying to teach me a little bit of the language. Really, you know, sharp guy, very focused, 24 years old. He had two master's degrees. He was doing his internship. So he goes, hey, you go to Kiev. You can stay with my buddy and his family for at least the first few days, and he'll show you around. Well, he didn't explain to me that his buddy was the complete opposite. Mm. (laughs) And, um... By the time I got off that plane, oh, I was definitely hypomanic. I didn't realize it for a few days, but uh, that that trip took its own. At some point, I, I did keep a journal for that trip somehow, and I, I need to. I can't let my mother read it, but I need <laughs> I need to type that out at some point. Yeah. But it took me, you know. Thank God I'd already had all the you know therapy before, because after about the third day, I'm like, oh shit, I haven't slept yet, and I don't want to sleep. But so I better really try to pull this in as much as I can. Hmm. Um, but yeah, the Ukraine trips I, I went a couple times. That was um, a great country, great people. Hmm. Um, but yeah, that that was uh, quite the adventure. And, um, but anyway, came back and I'm like, man, I I like it over there. And, um, I want to start working on the, the move to go. And then you, you sent that email, you find this guy. Yeah. So, um, again, uh, yeah, I contact, uh, Jonathan and, um, yeah. So he invited me over. I came, like I said, checked it out and, um, yeah, ended up here. Like I said, just a couple months before my 50th birthday, and it's funny, I hadn't done much on social media until up before I was moving here. Hmm. And uh, at the time, my nephews were still and niece were a bit younger, and I saw some stories about Facebook, you know, kids putting too much information on and predators after them. So that's actually why I originally joined, and I didn't do too much with it. But moving over here so I could keep track of people and they could keep track of me and help, help, uh, help build business over here. Um, I got on doing stuff with that. And then um, I didn't have many, many local Facebook friends yet, and I really didn't, still didn't know much about it. Mm-hmm. But usually a lot of times my birthdays, I just want to go somewhere off on my own or whatever and kind of, you know, reevaluate things or whatever. And uh, 
middle of the afternoon, I put a little post up like, hey, I'm going to be out on Old Town Square tonight, you know, if anybody want to come by for a drink or something. And I had quite a few people, you know, come by. And uh, a couple of them, we've become really good friends. And uh, one of them, they're, you know, Jack that grew up here. We're sitting out there, and then Caffrey's brings me a complimentary bottle of champagne and stuff like that. And she's like, how long have you lived here? I'm like, oh, well, about nine or ten weeks now. <laughs> she goes, I grew up here. Nobody's going to bring me champagne and stuff. I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be here. You know, what can I say? Um, but, uh, you know, I was just constantly going out and introducing myself and mm. meeting people. And then actually seven weeks, I got my, let's see, I did my paperwork in 2010. I got the visa came through in like February 2011. Um, and then, you know, you don't know when it's going to come through. So you can't start the full plan until, so, okay, I've got the visa now. So I'll plan within a month or two to come. And then I had the surprise. I had to have uh, heart surgery. <laughs> so uh-huh. I had to. You know, it got, you know, I was like, shit, something's wrong. I'm like, try to walk from my car to my apartment, well, you know, not very far. And um, I'm like, shit, I'm out of breath, you know. And this and, is just before you moved. Oh, seven weeks before I moved here, you know. And uh, I'm like, hoping it's something else. But I'm like, and then you WebMD, which is one of the worst things you can do, but none of it sounded good. I'm like, shit, it's going to be hard to get around. I can't hardly. <laughs> Everything you find online leads to death. Oh, yeah. No no matter what it is. Well, I wasn't too far off. (laughs) So, (laughs) you know, I waited about a week, and each day it was getting worse and worse. And then uh, it was, like, really obvious. And I was still stupidly, like, uh, the night before I went to the hospital, you know, my then it shifts to my chest and my jaw is tingling. And I'm still like, oh, please, I don't don't need this shit. So I go to work the next (laughs) morning. next morning and I'm working with one of my brothers and of course I'm white as a ghost I guess and one customer comes in I guess then I'm like shit I, I gotta go to the hospital um so I drove and I lived across from one of the top uh cardiac centers in the southeast I actually walked first I went in to make sure my cats were fed <laughs> clean the litter box just in case and then I go walking across the street to the hospital and it's hotter than hell outside there's no telling what I looked looked like by the time I showed up and the first entrance I could find because it was a big complex was the uh, uh, paternity so these nurses are putting a couple with their new baby in their car and I wander up probably you know telling like death warmed over and I'm like where do you go for chest pains (laughs) you know (laughs) and then it was code blue you get to go to the front of the line Um, so uh, luckily it wasn't open heart surgery they had to give me a stent though uh-huh. Um, but that took me, took me a while to get, get over that. So then I'm like, ah, okay, I got that done. At least I can still move. But it had me slowed down a little bit when I, when I first moved here. And, uh, but I'm like, okay, there's another, another hurdle to, to jump. Um, That's right. I didn't know about this. Uh, yeah. I thought I knew everybody. I've, I've heard so much stuff today <laughs> that I, I don't think I actually know you. So this is the end of episode one with Craig. Uh, In the second episode, we hear Craig talk about how he became some sort of an icon here in Prague. We talk American politics, masculinity, fashion, and Eurovision. Stay tuned.